I'm going to ask if you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. We're going to look at that passage here in just a few moments. We're looking at Be the Church this year, and presently when Be Courageous Church, we only have a few more weeks left in this series. Looking forward to uh, the Christmas season, and then next year we've got the new series uh, upon us. Looking forward to that as well. But as we think about Be the Church, Be Courageous Church, today we're looking at Be Courageous Church with the facts. You know, there are certain phrases that have been attributed to people for years that really did not happen. Marie Antoinette did not say, let them eat cake. I know that, and I know that disturbs you greatly. Cary Grant did not say, Judy, Judy, Judy. Sherlock Holmes did not say, elementary, my dear Watson. And then just the facts, ma'am, just give me the facts, was not said by Sergeant Joe Friday from Dragnet. And one of the facts is that probably 90% of you have no idea who some of these people are that I just mentioned. (laughs) But we are a society that says that it only wants the facts. Just give me the facts. But if we're really truthful and honest, we want the facts, but we want facts that are tainted with our own flavor. Facts that lean toward our own way of thinking. And so in reality, those are not facts, but that's information that's skewed with a bias. Now, as the church of Jesus Christ, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, we have information and we have facts that must never, ever be skewed. The world needs to hear the facts about life. They need to hear the facts about living. And they need to hear the facts about the Lord. All right. I'll speak louder, all right? Hi, there we go. All right. It has been a day, let me just tell you. Hey, but you know what? The Lord is on the throne, amen? Praise the Lord for that. And what we find in our passage of Scripture is what we've seen in the life of Paul is that Paul never taints the facts. He never flavors them in any way, no matter what circumstances he finds himself in. So what are some of these facts that the world needs to hear that we need to remember and we need to be reminded of and we need to know? And we're going to see those here in this chapter, Acts 24. We're going to actually pick up in the middle of this chapter, and I'll uh, guide you as to what, what's taking place here in just a minute. But we're going to look at starting in verse 10, going through the end of the chapter, verse 27. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand, uh, I'll read this passage for us today. So when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets." having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd of tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me? Or else let these men themselves say that what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. 
But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. And after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed, and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desired to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are on the throne in heaven. Lord, we thank you for our time of worship. We recognize, Lord, that you're at work here in our midst. We also recognize, Lord, that we're here, that you have divinely appointed us to be here at this time and this place. There's a message that we need to hear from you. Lord, it is apparent as the enemy is doing his best to dissuade us today, but we trust you to work in every heart. So Father, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives. I pray, Father, for those who are believers today, Lord, that we would recognize what we need to hear, what we need to know, what we need to proclaim. For those, Father, who are here today who don't know Jesus, Lord, may we hear the facts today. And may the facts bring about the conviction of the Holy Spirit and drawing people to self for salvation, to, to yourself for salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in every heart and life. Lord, I pray that you'd use me as your instrument. Lord, I am nothing apart from you. I can do nothing apart from you. But I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditation, my heart will be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, there's three points to today's message and two to do, and we're going to get to those here in just a moment. But I wanted to sort of give you a background in case you weren't here last week or in case you've forgotten sort of where we were in the scheme of the, the storyline of what is taking place. You remember Paul uh, is now, once again, as we look at this passage of Scripture, he's once again given a defense, and he's now before the governor, Felix. If you remember, he was taken safely from uh, to Caesarea from where he was, as we looked at last week, by the Romans. And we said that he was in protective custody of the Roman tribune, but we also acknowledge that in reality, he was in protective custody of Jesus Christ. And so Ananias now, who was uh, causing some of the problems with him back where he was, the, the, who was the high priest, and some of the elders of the Jewish council, now they have come to Caesarea before Felix, and they've hired a big city lawyer, a guy by the name of Tertullus. And this big city lawyer, Tertullus, begins to bring their case against Paul. And so Tertullus, as he stands before the governor Felix, he does not give the facts, but rather he brings fabrications. I'm not going to read those verses, but if you were to go back into first part of chapter 24, you would see there in verse 2 that Tertullus starts by telling Felix what he wants to hear. So what he does there is he butters up the governor. He calls the governor most excellent, of which uh, he was far from it. He also says that they were enjoying much peace under his leadership, which there was no real peace. There was a lot of injustice going on and that there were reforms were being made. And so there were still a lot of problems in the country or in, the, in Caesarea. And so then Tertullus, he brought fabrications concerning Paul. 
in verses five and six. He said that Paul was a plague or a pest or he was infectious. And he said that he had stirred up riots, which he hadn't. He said that he was a ringleader of a sect of the Nazarenes, which he wasn't. And he said that he tried to profane the temple, which he didn't. So all of these were fabrications. They were not facts at all. And then it's Paul's turn to speak. And Paul gives the facts. Again, I'm not going to read these passages. You can look at those yourself here when you have time. But in verses 11 and 12, and then verses 17 through 20, we see that Paul gives the facts where he defends himself against the charges that have been lobbed against him. In verses 14 through 16 and verse 21, he gives the facts concerning his own faith. And then in verse 25, it's apparent that Paul is giving the facts that the governor himself needs to hear. So that's where I want us to land. That's where I want us to hang out here today is in those latter parts of this chapter where we see here Paul is faithfully, calmly, courageously, and consistently giving the facts that point to Jesus. And no matter his audience, he points to Jesus. No matter his situation, he gives the facts and he points to Jesus. He doesn't skew the facts and beloved as disciples, neither should we. We know the facts. We're going to hear the facts. We must proclaim the facts. So here's the first point. We see here that we're to be courageous church with the facts of righteousness with the facts of righteousness. So Paul speaks to Felix here and his accusers in this passage at the very beginning of this chapter. So the accusers are there. Felix, the governor, sitting before them. Tertius is there. And Paul speaks the facts to all of them. But then also he speaks directly to Felix and to Felix's wife, Drusilla. And so let's see what takes place here to get us to that point in verse 22 and 23. So the trial, if you will, uh, the hearing before the governor has taken place. And now we pick up in verse 22 and 23 and it says, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying that when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. So he says, I'm going to wait for Lysias to get here before I hear your case, even though he had the letter from Lysias. So it was really just a smoke screen. Verse 23, then he gave orders to the centurion that he, Paul, should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So Paul is being kept in custody. He's not done anything to deserve being kept in custody in these chains in this prison where he's being kept here. And so you would think that as Paul is given the opportunity to speak to the governor, to speak to Felix, that Paul would use every opportunity to argue his innocence and to argue that he needs to be let go, that he needs to be freed, that there's people that he needs to talk to, there's people in these places he needs to go to argue his innocence, need to be freed, and maybe to seek to butter up the governor as he, as Tertullus has done. But that's not what we see here. Look at verses 24 and 25. So after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Now, what we see here is that Paul is talking about faith in Christ Jesus. Man, don't you love that, right? Amen. And so as we think about the scene that's before us, Felix himself is a pagan. 
He's not a believer, doesn't claim to be a believer, doesn't even have any Jewish background. He is a pagan. And Drusilla, his wife, she was a Jew, no longer active in her faith. So Felix is her second husband, and she is his third wife. And they are living an immoral life, ungodly lives. It's all about themselves. They are greedy, they're materialistic, and they're clueless about their spiritual condition. And when I was working on that and thinking about that, I happened to think, you know, that's all of America today, isn't it? Living immoral, ungodly lives, all about themselves, greedy, materialistic, and clueless about their spiritual condition. But what we find here is that Paul does not waver. He does not fabricate the facts. He does not skew the facts. But he speaks about what we see there in verse 25, into verse 24, in the first part of verse 25, is he speaks about faith, in Jesus Christ, and it tells us that he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. That's where I'm going to camp out for these next three points about how Paul talked about to Felix and Drusilla, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. So let's look first at righteousness. Well, it's likely that the governor Felix had not thought about who he was in light of holy God. Maybe Drusilla had had some thoughts, but she had suppressed them. She had pushed them aside. And I'm not sure what they were hoping to hear as they brought Paul before them. Maybe they were just wanting to be entertained. But I suspect it's not what they thought they were going to hear when Paul began to speak to them. And it reminds me of what people want to hear today. Because people don't want to hear the facts. They want to, when it comes to thinking about righteousness, people today want to hear, you're okay I'm okay. You be you and I'll be me. Let's just all coexist. Now, while we must all certainly be gracious and loving and kind, we must as disciples give the facts. The facts about righteousness. And that's what Paul did here. Now, we don't know exactly what he said, but we have some, some, some things that he said before this passage uh, when he was speaking to that court of the high priest and the governor and Tertius were all listening in. We'll look at those. And then there's places where we see where Paul spoke about these topics when he wrote letters to other churches. So we're going to have an idea of maybe what he would have said, certainly would have been within the framework of what Paul would normally say about these things. And so what the first thing is of the facts about righteousness. What did Paul say about righteousness uh, to Felix? Well, like I said, we don't know, but we can catch a glimpse if you turn back to verse 14. And we see Paul speaking to that court where he says, but this I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect. Of course, the way is, is being a faithful follower of Jesus. Jesus is the way, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So Paul is saying, look, I believe everything laid down by the law and the prophets, what we would call the Old Testament. I believe everything laid down here, but I confess to you that according to the way, that through Jesus Christ, that there is how I am able to worship the God of our fathers. Now, again, it's, not, it's possible that Paul may have also given some facts about righteousness. When we think about what he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter three, maybe he said something like this to Felix. Felix, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. Felix, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There's no one does good, not 
even one. Maybe in verses 20 and 22, we'd see here that maybe he would say something like this to Felix as he's talking about righteousness. Felix, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So Felix, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he'd say to Felix, look, Felix, hear the facts. Felix, you you may have a cushy job. You may be enjoying the pleasures of life. You may think that you are good and you have nothing to worry about. But Felix, it is all a fabrication of your own thinking because here are the facts. You are not righteous, Felix. You need Jesus. And you have no righteousness on your own. You need Jesus and his righteousness. We don't know if that's what Paul said, but I got a feeling it's pretty close to that, amen? And we know that it's still true for today as well. The facts about righteousness are these, that we are all sinners, that there is no one good enough to worship God. There is no one holy enough to come into the presence of holy God. There's no one perfect enough to have access to him, but it is Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. It is Jesus and his righteousness that makes us good enough and holy enough and perfect enough to come into his presence. It is through faith in Jesus by which we are saved. Amen? And so these are the facts that we need to hear and be reminded of. And beloved, these are the facts the world needs to hear and we need to proclaim. So be courageous, church, with the facts about righteousness. And there's a second point we want to see here, and that is right living. So Paul speaks about faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible here tells us that he reasoned with Felix about righteousness and self-control. That's what we're going to look at here. Self-control and the coming judgment. Now, can't you just imagine this scene? Can't you imagine, you know, Felix, the governor, and his wife, Drusilla, sitting up as authority figures, and Paul maybe has chains because he's in prison, and he's, you know, in custody, and he's standing before them. They are probably sitting up higher than he is, and, and they have this lifestyle that they're living, and, and here's this perfect example of these two people who are not exhibiting self-control. They are, this Felix and Drusilla, they're doing their own thing, and they have a lifestyle of sin. They're married together. They are together through affairs and through divorce to get their way. They have no restraint from their sinful behavior and it is apparent to everybody who knows what's going on. And yet here's Paul and he's standing in front of them and he is giving them the facts about self-control, about right living. And can't you imagine that it likely was about to make them squirm sitting on those thrones up there? But you know what, isn't that the case for today as well? People squirm when you begin to talk about the facts because people don't want to hear the facts about self-control. And people don't want to hear about right living. And people don't want to hear about sin. And people don't want to hear about their lifestyle being wrong because people don't want to hear the facts. They want to hear 
it's your body, it's your choice. They want to hear you can be any gender you want. My land, you can be any animal you want today. They want to hear you can be anything, you can say anything, you can do anything. See, that's what the world wants to hear today, but they want to hear that with this, that you can be anything, you can do anything, you can say anything, all without any consequences, continually having great joy and satisfaction. But beloved, those are not the facts. So what are the facts? Here are the facts. The facts about self-control and about right living. Where do we find that? Well, we can sort of catch a glimpse of it here in verse 16. Paul says this in verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So Paul is saying, look, I am seeking to live a life of godly living. I'm seeking to live a life that brings glory to God, a life that is pleasing to him, a life that points others to him. And watch this. And how I live is proof of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And how I live shows that he has transformed my heart because what is in the heart is manifested in the life. And so what Paul is saying is he is speaking to them about self-control and right living is something maybe he would have said uh, from the, to, the, to the church at Rome in Romans 6, verse 23. He could have said, hey, Felix, know this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand this, Felix. Look, you may think that you can do all these things and have great joy and satisfaction, but know that there is a cost and there are consequences to sin. There's a cost and there are consequences to sin. And so maybe he would have said what he wrote to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, to the Corinthian church there, starting in verse 9, where he said, Felix, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Felix, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Felix, you need Jesus. And then maybe he would add what he would say to the church at Corinth after he tells them these things, you know, that, that uh, the kingdom of God will not have these sexually immoral and, and adulterers and adulterers. And then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He said, look. Your life can be changed. Your life can be transformed through Jesus Christ. And then he would say in Galatians chapter five, look, Felix, the fruit of the spirit who dwells within you when you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So we don't know what Paul would have said to Felix and Jerusalem. But maybe it was something like this. Here are the facts, Felix. You in Jerusalem, well, you're, you're running hard after your own pleasures. Uh, 
You're pursuing your own desires. You're sexually immoral. You're adulterers and you're greedy. And you can claim that you have it all together. And you may think that there are no consequences to how you're living. But believe me, Felix, it is all a fabrication of your own thinking. Because here are the facts. Is that your actions reveal what is in the heart. And it is evident that you don't belong to Jesus, Felix. You need Jesus because he can transform your heart and he can transform your life. You see, friends, those facts that Paul would have shared with Felix are the same facts for today that we need to hear about self-control and right living, that we are all sinners in need of a savior, that all sin comes at a cost and at a consequence, that sin leads to death and destruction. And no one who lives a life of ungodliness and unrepentance truly knows Jesus. But all who belong to him have the spirit of God and self-control is a fruit that we bear along with love and joy and peace because Jesus changes you because he changes your heart. To have self-control, to live lives pleasing to him, that bring him glory. Beloved, you need Jesus because he's the one who can transform your life for his glory. That's the word, the facts that are still the facts today. They're the facts the world needs to hear. They're the facts that we need to be reminded of and the facts that we need to proclaim. There's a third one. Be courageous, church, with the facts about righteousness, about right living, and resurrection. Y'all with me this morning? Say amen. He speaks now about faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, and he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And so it's likely that Felix and Drusilla were simply living in the moment. They were simply living for the moment. It's possible that they had no thoughts at all about eternity. Maybe because they were so young, They weren't concerned about death and what was going to happen next. But Paul here, he helps to open their eyes to the facts about the coming judgment. He reminds me of what people want to hear today. People want to hear today, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or you only live once, so go at it with all you got. Or enjoy today. Man, why worry about tomorrow? And while some of those have some truth to them, There are facts that have been skewed because the world lives without realizing the truth of the resurrection. And the believer lives these out while realizing the truth of the resurrection. You see that? So we mean by that, Pastor? Well, let's look at what Paul said, which may be what Paul said again here about the coming judgment in verse 15. Chapter 24, verse 15. Paul said, speaking to that court back before we come to this passage, verse 15, he says, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul would say, look, because of the way, because of Jesus, he's saying, look, I have a hope in the resurrection and there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, of both those who are righteous and those who are the unrighteous. In other words, Paul would say, this life is not all there is. There is more to come. So it's possible that Paul may have used what he said in Romans to Felix, Romans chapter two, verses three and following. Do you suppose 
Oh, Felix, do you suppose that you who judge those who practice such things and yet you do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume, Felix, on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because, Felix, of your hard and your impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I don't know what Paul said, but maybe he said something like this. Here are the facts, Felix. You may think, as you look around, Felix, you may think that this is all there is. You may not be worried about the end of life, but I'm telling you, Felix, it's coming because we all die and there is a judgment. And Felix, nothing is hidden from the Lord. You must have faith in Jesus or you will face the coming judgment, which is the wrath of God. Felix, I'm telling you, man, you need Jesus. Beloved, those facts that Paul would have shared with Felix are the same facts today, that this life is but a vapor. Come on now, amen? This life is but a vapor and we are not promised our next breath. And this is not all there is. And if you do not trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you will live eternally in a real place called hell. And there is a coming judgment when the lost will experience the wrath of God and be cast into the lake of fire. The fact is, beloved, every one of us needs Jesus. Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a coming judgment. There is a resurrection of the unjust. But just as Paul said there's a resurrection of the unjust, there's also a resurrection of the just. In other words, there is hope for the believer And beloved, that's a fact. Amen? That's a fact. Jesus said in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Beloved, I cling to that fact. Amen? I cling to that. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul said to Felix in Jerusalem. We don't know everything he said about righteousness, right living, or the resurrection. But we do know how Felix responded. You look at the end of verse 25. It tells us there that Felix was alarmed. He was alarmed. That means that he was terrified. He was very afraid of what he has just heard. And then he says, go away for the present. And when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. He said to Paul, even though he was terrified of what he heard, he said, not now. Not now. Beloved, there's no indication that Felix ever trusted Jesus by faith. And if that's the case, then the fact is, is that he is still suffering in a literal hell today. Preacher, I don't think I like this message today. These are just scare tactics you're using us on us today. No, friends. These are the facts. 
These are the facts. Because it is the word of God. Amen? Be courageous, church, with the facts of righteousness and right living and resurrection. We must know them and we must proclaim them as disciples. The world needs to hear. So there's two to-dos, all right? There's two to-dos and then we're done. Number one, face the facts and rejoice or repent. Face the facts and rejoice or repent. Here's a fact. Nobody will be living, be alive on this earth that's in this room right now, I don't think, uh, 100 years from now. In 100 years, every one of us will be dead. Now, I know that just blesses your socks off today, all right? But it's a fact, right? In 100 years, face the facts. So the question for you then is this, where will you be in 100 years? If all of us have died, where will you be? The facts are, you'll be in one of two places. You'll either be in heaven or hell. And you'll be in heaven if you have trusted Jesus Christ by faith and you have his righteousness and not your own. Or you've trusted him to save you. He's the Lord of your life. You have a relationship with him. Beloved, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you'll be in heaven. That's a fact. You can rejoice. Amen? Face the facts and rejoice. But if you have not trusted Jesus with your, with your life, but you've trusted in your own life, doing your own thing, thus rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Beloved, while you still have breath in your body, you need to repent and turn to Jesus today. Because the fact is, if you were to die at this moment, you would spend eternity in a literal place called hell. He loves you and he is calling you to himself. He has made the way for you to have salvation. It's through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Face the facts and rejoice or repent. That's the first to do. Here's the second one. Disciple, it's for you. Proclaim the facts. Proclaim the facts. Tertullus, he told Felix what he wanted to hear. Paul told Felix what he needed to hear. He needed Jesus. And beloved people all around us need Jesus. Let us proclaim the facts. They need to hear the facts. Be courageous, church, with the facts. Now, understand this, that as I give that to do to you, understand that as you are to proclaim the facts, we are to be loving and we are to be gracious and we are to be kind, but we are to be faithful to tell the truth. Amen? Faithful to tell the truth. The best time to tell other people the good news about the gospel is right now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and your Savior, the best time to come to know him is right now. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this, this morning? Father, as we come before you, we thank you that your word is true. And we know, Lord, that we have no righteousness on our own. So we need Jesus. We know, Lord, that we can't live a life that brings glory and honor to you. We know, Lord, that we have no self-control, that we're inundated with sin. We have no power over sin. So we need Jesus. We know, Lord, that there is coming judgment, that there will be a resurrection. 
that there is more to this life than what we see today. And that if we want to spend our eternity in heaven, then we know the fact is we need Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that in our own hearts who know you as Lord and Savior to be reminded of the hope that's ours in Jesus Christ. That one day we will see you face to face. That you have conquered death forever. But Lord, also help us as disciples to speak Jesus. To speak Jesus over our families, to speak Jesus over our friends. Lord, to tell the facts of who you are and what you've done and how we desperately need you. And if there are those here today who don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, may this be that moment where they'll step out of that pew and go to a pastor and say, I need Jesus to be the Savior of my life. I need to know that for sure today. Let the pastors pray with them. Or maybe there are those who just need to come and kneel and pray, committing their lives to you, committing to be your witnesses, to committing to proclaiming the facts to people around them. Or maybe it's praying for those people they know that don't know Jesus, that their hearts are burdened today for. Whatever the case is, we come to this invitation. Lord, would you have your way in us? And may you have your way in this time as we yield it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There will be pastors here.